Our sermon text is Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy of being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. All right, let's pray together. Lord, as we look at this astonishing text, we pray that you would help us to see Christ before us, that our eyes would be fixed on him, that his example and his pattern would be ours. We pray that you would help us to see the resources that you have given us that are at our disposal. We're not just striving to make this happen in our own strength, but you have given us everything we need for this to be a reality in our lives. And I pray that you would help us to look beyond our everyday lives and see the glory that we will share with Christ when he is king over all. Lord, we thank you for this time to worship you, worship you and we pray that you would stir our affections to greater levels of worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, um, first off, I think the singing was great, don't you? I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, Suzanne and, and Kay and Robin do a good job. Second off, I need to move this mic because I feel like it's staring at me. Um, so I'm just going to move it a little because Suzanne's going to need it too. Thank you, Rupert. Um, Next, you may have noticed that the flowers on the table this morning are for Pastor Rupert as we continue our celebration of, um, uh, of Pastor's Appreciation Month. This month marks 47 years in ministry for Rupert. That's impressive. Yeah. I completely agree that it is not something we, we see often enough, unfortunately, um, as I was taught even in school and as someone who's still at the beginning of this uh, lengthy journey in ministry, it's not something you see, that sort of endurance and faithfulness over the years. So um, that is something to be commended and, of course, to praise God for his provision for that. Well, as many of you know, last week marked my first anniversary here at Monument Heights, and I want to thank all of those, uh, all of you who have sent me cards and encouragement 
and those who have sent Starbucks gift cards and uh, kept me fueled with coffee way too much, and I think I've already almost blown through them all. It's insane how much money I spend at Starbucks. I realized that this week. Um, so, so there's that. Um, I, I want to thank you for that encouragement, uh, and it was really meaningful to me and to my family. It's been a good year serving the church for a year. It's uh, been a year full of some exciting things. Of course, COVID has made that difficult on a number of levels. There have been unique challenges that we would have never anticipated, but I'm still optimistic as we hopefully are seeing another decline and won't have too many huge... I hope you'll hear that this morning. This text is both challenging because it calls us to greater levels of humility and service, calls me to greater levels of humility and service to follow Christ even harder. And we'll see that as we get into Philippians 3 in a few weeks as well, uh, where even Paul is saying, I haven't obtained it. I'm pressing on to follow Christ. But this text is also promising. There is a vision of not just humility and service, but there is a vision of ultimate exaltation where Christ is set above all things and we will share with him in that glory. Now, before we jump into our text here in Philippians 2, I'd like to point to another verse. Paul writes in another letter to a young pastor named Timothy. In 1 Timothy 4.12, he writes, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. That has been an important verse for me and continues to be an important verse as I reflect on my continued tenure here. It's one that strikes me as extremely important as I think about what it means to fulfill the pastoral vocation. I am young, in case you didn't know. Uh, the beard tries to cover it up, but it's not always successful. Um, if you're wondering, I still happen to be 32. At the end of the year, I will have completed seven years of full-time ministry. So I began pastoring when I was 25 years old, full-time. Paul speaks to someone like me in these verses, a young pastor. And his advice is not to worry about the age, but to worry about character. Set an example to follow Christ. So here's where I want you to hear my heart this morning. I want to be a faithful pastor. I take that task extremely seriously. I can't turn it off, in fact. I go to bed thinking about it, and I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. I care deeply about this. I'm not sure that's so healthy. I really don't know how you turn off a vocation. But... I want you to understand that I'm doing everything in my power to serve this church faithfully. And that I desire the growth and the health of this church more than anything. And I have to commend this congregation, by the way, for being so receptive to my leadership. By and large, I, kn I know we've disagreed at times, but by and large, I feel supported by an overwhelming majority of this congregation. And for that reason, I'm optimistic as we move forward into year two together. As we look at this text in Philippians, I want you to hear Paul's pastoral heart for the Philippian believers, and I want you to know that while I'm not Paul, I too share in what he's expressing here. Before we jump into verse 1, let me give you a summary statement for the whole passage. The incarnation of Christ, that is, his becoming flesh, 
God stepping out of um, eternity to enter time and space, becoming flesh, incarnate, right? Like a carnivore eats flesh, so infleshed. The incarnation of Christ sets the pattern for our lives. That is, Christ is our example. Scholars widely agree that the passage we're going to look at is one of the oldest, if not the very oldest, portion of our New Testament. Because they think what Paul is doing here is not just writing something new, but is actually appearing to a, appealing to a creedal formula of sorts. Beginning there in verse 6, where he speaks of Christ not counting equality with God. What he's talking about there is a confession that Christians would have been saying from the very earliest days. And he's just incorporated it into his teaching. So it's very likely that what we see in this passage is some of the very first statements of belief of early Christians. And it's this beautiful explanation of Christ being fully divine and yet stepping into time and space and humbling himself and subjecting himself in obedience even unto death. And of course we see the pattern that he will be exalted as well. And Paul takes this beautiful hymn, what is often known as the Christ hymn, And he uses it to say, here is your example, church. Here is the example to follow. This is yours. You can follow this pattern. To be Christians after all means, to follow in the steps of Christ, to belong to Christ, to identify with Christ. And what we see in the incarnation is the ultimate act of humility and service. And we are called, as people who name the name of Jesus, to emulate that same service in humility. So let's look at verse 1 here in Philippians 2. Paul begins, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now notice this is a conditional statement. It's a first part of a conditional statement, so it's not a complete thought, but I want to stop here. If there is any encouragement, if there's any comfort, participation, affection, and and sympathy. Now, in English, we might hear this if as doubt, like Paul's saying, if this happens to be the case, but the, the, the Greek actually is more fluid here, and I think a better way to understand this, and I'm following a number of commentators here on this, would be this. Since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is comfort from love, since there is participation in the Spirit, since there is affection and sympathy, then do this. And we'll talk about that when we get there. See, what Paul is appealing to is the resources available to Christians. These are their resources. Since you have been encouraged to follow Christ, Since you have experienced and been comforted by the love of God, since you have experienced fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit, you know the living God and commune with the living God, and you have fellowship with one another because of that, since you have been granted deep affection and compassion in a way that surpasses anything that you could conjure up in and of yourself, since that is what's available to you, These are your resources as a believer in Christ. Since that is the case, then Paul says this in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Look at Paul's joy. What is Paul's joy? It's not more people to listen to his preaching. It's not bigger churches. It's not more accolades. Paul's going to talk about all of his accolades and professional professional, uh, trophies in chapter 3, and he's going to say they're garbage, literally. He's going to say they don't mean anything. But for now, that's not what matters. What matters to him is this. Paul's joy is for the Philippian believers to be united around the gospel of Christ Jesus. Remember what he said back in chapter 1, verse 27. We saw it last week. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. His concern is that, that they would live lives that reflect the gospel, that they would live lives that reflect what Christ is up to in this world, following the pattern that Christ has given his people. I know we talk a lot about change and we talk a lot about moving forward and I've been pushing those ideas and, and all of that's important. But this morning, I want to step outside of that, right? I say that all, I talk about that stuff all the time. And again, it's important. We have to talk about it. But right now, I just want to step outside of all of that and say this, my joy as a pastor is seeing you thrive in Christ, My joy as a pastor is seeing you thrive in Christ. As badly as I would love to have a a full sanctuary and and have people listening and, and doing all of these things, what I really care about is your maturity and growth in Christ. I pray that for you routinely. I want that for you. I work toward that end and I stand ready to help in any way possible. Now, over the last few weeks, I've had to address some difficult issues, and I'm afraid I unsettled some of you with that. That was not my intention, though they needed to be addressed. We've done a lot of new things this past year, and I also fear I've unsettled some of you with that. Again, that was not my intention, but let me speak to you intentionally now. I want nothing more than the health of this congregation. I desire your growth. I desire your maturity, and that is my joy. And I want us to share in that joy together. I'm here to press on with you to know Christ and to be known by Christ. That is my desire. And I can say that with Paul, that your unity, that your coming together around the gospel, that your growth in Christ that as you are formed more and more in his likeness, as you are in the language of one of our formation documents, oriented to the living and triune God in every area of your life, my joy is bubbling over. But in order for us to be healthy and unified, we must be humble. Look at verse 3. Do nothing, nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Or in lowliness, count others more significant than yourselves. We saw Paul's opponents in chapter 1 who were out to promote their own agenda. He said they do it to, to satisfy themselves and to make his life more difficult. We will make little headway toward true humility if our own agendas are getting in the way. That's true of me, it's true of you. If we seek our own glory we will cut off opportunities for unity. That, that's true of pastors as well, right? If it's all about me on a 
stage, right, which isn't what this is all about. It shouldn't be. But if it's anything about that, then we're missing the point. And if I'm seeking my own glory, I'm cutting off any opportunity for growth and health. If we seek our own glory, we will cut off opportunities for unity. Instead, what we're called to do is count others as more significant than ourselves. Then there's verse 4, and you really can't read these in isolation from each other. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, sometimes we think humility means thinking poorly about ourselves or talking badly about ourselves or or kind of uh, uh, saying things that aren't so nice about ourselves. But notice that's not the biblical definition of humility. The biblical definition of humility is showing preference for the interest of others, not looking only to our own interest, but also to the interest of of others. So it doesn't say discount your interest. It doesn't say give up everything that concerns you. It says instead make sure that your interests don't become the priority in your life, but instead you are prioritizing others' interest. It does not say that we must set aside what concerns us altogether, but it does say that we must set aside our agendas and prioritize others. Now, Of course, this doesn't mean sacrificing truth or relegating the gospel to a secondary concern or allowing selfish agendas to rule the church, especially when those voices tend to be the loudest. And we all know they tend to be the loudest. We, we know that's not the case because Paul's already addressed the opponents. He's already said in chapter 1 it's a sign of their destruction. He, he'll address conflict in the church in chapter 4 of this letter. So we know that's not what he's getting at. Otherwise, he would just be a really confused thinker here as he writes this letter. But what he's getting at is that for believers to be in fellowship and community together, we must humbly seek to serve each other. And you might wonder what that looks like. How do we humbly seek to serve each other? Well, I had a spiritual director put it this way, and I really like this. That instead of putting up our defenses, instead of thinking about our own interest and our own preferences, what we need to do is figure out ways to move toward one another. Now, I, I do this terribly, okay? This is a really difficult thing. But, but instead of saying... All right, I don't like what that person said. We, we figure out ways to move toward them. What is, what is the pain behind this? What, why are they saying it this way? What's, what's the underlying issue here? There must be something going on. Again, we don't, we don't turn this into some way of dismissing uh, what's important and what's truth and, and what is essential in the church, but we can move toward each other. We might even ask the question, why is that? Why are we called to do this? And the answer is because our master did just that. Look at verses 5 through 8. We'll pick up this Christ hymn here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It's already available to you. If you're in Christ, these are the resources that are available to you. And here's the Christ hymn beginning in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. This is such an important passage because it captures so much of the heart of Christian doctrine. What you have here is a strong statement about the eternal divinity of Christ. He was in the very form of God. He had equality with God, synonymous with the living God. He's not a lesser God. He's not a demigod. He's not some sort of creation. He's not adopted by God, right? He is and always has been fully God. There was never a time when he was not. He was never created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John 1.1. Okay, so a strong statement on the divinity of Christ. But here we also have a statement about his incarnation. He didn't hold on to that status, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God became incarnate, not as a king, not as a ruler, though he is that, and though when all is said and done, he will be seen as that by the entirety of the universe. He comes as a servant, not to be served, but to serve. And God incarnate humbled himself by being obedient, subjecting himself in every way, even unto a cursed death on a cross. And that is the pattern set before us. And Paul says such an attitude is available to us in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It already belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Don't miss this point, and I'll put it up here. The Spirit of Christ enables us to live in humble service. The Spirit of Christ enables us to live in humble service. Those resources are ours in Christ. But look, this isn't a drudgery. This isn't like, oh, this sounds really hard. There's a reason Paul can say, complete my joy. This is something good. This is something to rejoice over and fill warm feelings over, not something that we would reject and, and find reprehensible. There's a reason that we find hope in this, and that's because God exalts what is humble. God takes what is lowly and lifts it up. God takes the poor and elevates them. That is the story of Scripture, and that is exemplified in Christ. And the hope we have in following Christ is that we will share in the redemption that He is bringing to all of creation. Look at verse 9 with me. Therefore... Even, even after all this subjection, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So through his humiliation, Christ is exalted. Upon him is the name that is above every other. And here's the result, verses 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at the scope of redemption. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, whether it's above the earth or on the earth or under the earth, which 
encompasses the whole universe, the whole cosmos. Service and humility may seem so counterintuitive to our world. They seem to run counter to strength and confidence. Everything you and I have been ingrained to think says don't be humble and, and, and give yourself in service. Don't, don't elevate other people's preferences. Instead, stand your ground. But in God's cosmic plan for the universe, it's Christ's humility that brings redemption to every corner of that universe. And look at the hope in these verses. I don't want to press this too far. And we always have to be careful when we read Scripture. But there's going to come a day when every square inch of this universe will recognize Jesus as king. We can say that with certainty. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Christ is king. And this gives us confidence to humbly serve each other, to be unified in the gospel, to continue linking arms and moving forward in the gospel, to love each other even when it's difficult, to reconcile and to forgive if we can see the big picture. We know that it will not be for nothing, that it's not just something that we do that's really hard that won't pan out in the end. We know that when all is said and done, every single effort toward redemption, every single effort toward humility and service, toward moving toward each other, toward being with one another and being present with one another, all of those efforts will be part of God's plan of redemption. See, in the present moment, God uses all of those humble efforts at unity, at reconciliation, at forgiveness to bring redemption to a broken world. And when all is said and done, we will share in the same redemption. We too will be lifted up with Christ. And I just want you to think for a second about those stories you hear. Anytime someone moves toward an enemy, anytime there's real reconciliation made in the world, anytime violence is exchanged for peace, right? Christians are known as the peacemakers. I read this just beautiful story yesterday uh, about a Muslim woman who was talking to a Christian uh, pastor. And this Muslim woman was expressing her concern over the conflict in the Middle East that we all know has been going on for decades now. And she said, this Muslim woman says this, I think it only comes down to the Christians. And this Christian pastor says, what do you mean? And she says, because you all are the peacemakers, aren't you? You're the peacemakers. Our heart is stirred by those stories, and it's because we know that God has called us to be part of this redemptive plan. We are on mission with God, participants with God, as He is redeeming and making right a creation that has gone awry, a world that is broken, a world that is hurting. And Christ has set that pattern by entering right into that brokenness and dismantling all the power structures, disarming the rulers and authorities, as Colossians puts it, triumphing, triumphing over them on the cross, through his cross, through his humility. And then we're called to follow in that same path. I began this morning by telling you I wanted to share my heart. Part of that is a sincere desire to humbly lead as your pastor. 
The other part is that I want you to know that my sincerest desire is that this church would flourish in Christ Jesus. My joy will bubble over as we grow together, united around the gospel, being conformed more and more to the image of Christ. I don't mean numerically, right? We want that. We want to see people come to Christ. We want to make disciples. So in that sense, we're after some numbers. But that's not the ultimate aim either. What we want to see is us being partners with God's plan of redemption that has been given to us in Christ. We've been caught up in that. We've been called to participate in that. That is our privilege That is the resources. Have this mind in yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what I would urge you to do, and I make this commitment to you as well, let's keep our eyes focused on Christ as we press on to know him and to be known by him. Suzanne's coming to do the pastoral prayer this morning. I invite you, as always, to reach out to us with any of your questions. If you're a believer, we talk to you too. If you're an unbeliever, we would love to talk to you as well. Love to tell you about Jesus, tell you what I've just said today. If you're interested in fellowship or partnership here at the church, that's also an option for you. We have a clear path forward for that. And we would love to bring you in to this congregation and partner with you as we seek to be participants in God's plan for this world. Suzanne, are you ready? Maybe I might do. (laughs) Before I begin our prayer, I just wanted to let you know that Kitty Cobb's brother David's grandson, Jared Tharp, passed away this week. So if you will please remember uh, the Cobb family and all of the relatives among that. That's a very sad situation for them. Okay, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word and your unending love toward us. We are reminded that even in prison, Paul was built up in remembering what Christ had done for him and even what Christ would do in the future. Even in suffering, there is encouragement in Christ. So today we lift up those who are struggling with physical illnesses and frailties, those burdened by stress, depression, grief, or exhaustion. We ask your mercy and healing for each one as you deem best. As we leave this place this morning and go out into the world, empower us by your Holy Spirit to walk worthy of Christ, following his example. May we consider others more highly than ourselves. Oh, Lord, how this would transform our families, our friendships, and our fellowship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.